So as you know, uh, this year is part of the way we've been growing as disciples together. We've been learning uh, scripture memory verses. Um, And as part of that, we've also been learning um, some different uh, creedal things going on in the life of the faith. And uh, in this season, as we talk about the Apostles' Creed together, we are memorizing it together. Um, So, uh, last week we memorized the first clause of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, And today we are going to recite the first two together, and this week work on memorizing them uh, together. Um, If you are on Facebook, you may have seen uh, that Din Djarin and Boba Fett were were memorizing it together, because this is the way. Um, But let's let's, uh, recite together uh, this first part of the Apostles' Creed. But we'll start with what we have memorized, and then we will pick up this next part. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Our first uh, scripture reading today comes from John chapter 1. And John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness had not overcome it. And then verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. As Christians, one of our very most central claims is that Jesus is indeed God. Not that Jesus became God, Not that Jesus is uh, simply the best teacher we've ever had about who God is, but that Jesus is God. And Jesus has been God from the very beginning. In future weeks, we'll talk about Jesus being human from the very beginning. But for now, we are talking about Jesus being God from the very beginning. And this can be, um, this can be confusing. Um, and in part because we've just spent uh, the first three quarters of the Bible talking about God as a singular being. Right? In the Old Testament, in Judaism, there is no trinity. You have God the Father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And every other spiritual being in the world is not worthy of worship, only Yahweh. God the Father, God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So for John to be making this claim that Jesus existed at the very beginning, that Jesus is co-eternal 
with the Father, that the Son and the Father work together in the very act of creation, is a radical claim. This is not just kind of a throwaway comment. There's a reason why John makes it at the very beginning of his Gospel. You might, go, you might even say that the rest of the Gospel is just commentary on this very first claim at the beginning. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. The Father and the Son are one. If we know the Son, we know the Father. This is the language that John continues to use in speaking about Jesus and in talking about the divinity of Jesus. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him is life. And that life was the light of all mankind. We live in a world that wants to have a natural explanation for everything. We want to have a theory that, that explains how from primordial ooze and became bacteria and became uh, fungi and then, you know, became... I don't I mean, you know it. Like, you've, you've been in science class, right? Like, like there's this long progression that if we, uh, you know, that if everything went just right, and if we look at the cell structure, it sort of makes sense, maybe, that gives us the, the diversity of life on this planet. And, and, and whether or not these uh, scientific theories are accurate or not, I'm not personally all that concerned about. They may be, they may not be. What is more concerning to me is that as a culture, we so desperately want to be able to have full autonomy of our lives and of the world around us, that we will do whatever it takes to separate a sovereign God away from the way we orient culture, from the way we orient society. We don't want to hear that, there, that, that what we have is here because God made it. We don't want to hear that there is a being more powerful and more holy than us in the universe. This is, this is the, the general flow of our culture. It is to explain everything away with natural causes, to create a world where God is not necessary. Because if God is not necessary, then there's no accountability. If God is not necessary, then why would I ever worship anything other than me? But our claim as Christians is that we live in a world that God created. 
We live in a world that came into being because the Father and the Son loved each other. And out of this deep love that they had for one another, new life sprung forth. The Father and the Son loved each other and wanted more stuff to love. So for us, looking for just the natural explanation that makes it so that, that life is random and accidental doesn't work. Because for us, the, the, the very nature of reality is set by a God who is in relationship and creates the world in order to have a relationship with it. In Jesus is life. Through him all things were made. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. This is the language of the church. This is the language of us who are convinced that there is something instead of nothing because God wants it to be this way. That creation is not accidental. It's not random. But that God, in His wisdom created this world with a design, created us in it with a design, and not only that, he made us in his image. We will pick it back up here in the third chapter of John. At this point, Jesus has been talking to Nicodemus. He's talked about being born again, and Nicodemus is clueless. Um, but they continue to speak. Jesus tells Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And then in verse 16... Jesus says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So, in this most recent translation of the NIV, 
they, uh, they use the language of one and only. But if you were like me and grew up on the 1984 NIV, you probably said, where's the word begotten? The only begotten son. Right? This is the way most of us learned John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. What does begotten mean? Exactly, it's a word we never use, ever. Um, And because of this, I think all too often, we have as good readers of the English language used context clues and created a definition for begottenness that may or may not be right. The short answer is that begottenness is this idea of being wholly unique, one and only, um, one of a kind, none quite like. This is, this is the general idea of begottenness. But I don't know about you, but as a, uh, as a proficient English reader... Before actually learning what begotten meant, I also ascribed a, uh, a progression to it, right? Like the father begets the son. Whatever begets means, it puts the son below the father. Does anyone else do that? Has anyone else like read it that way? that you have the Father up here, and since the Son is beget by the Father, then the Son must be in some way inferior. Am I all alone in this? Okay, good. We are, we're, we're, you're, you're smelling what I'm stepping in. Good. Um, but the problem is that for these original hearers, for these uh, church fathers speaking Greek, begottenness in no way denotes inferiority. They don't want us to see this language. They don't, um, for them to use the language of begottenness is not to say that the father is superior to the son. It is to talk about their relationship that the Father has a relationship with the Son that is not rivaled. That there's no, no other two beings that have this sort of relationship. That there is a, a bond there that, that the way God is the Father to Jesus, or the way the Father is the Father to the Son, is not the same way that God is the Father to you and me. This is what they're going for. And this is why in 325, when they had begun speaking Latin and were no longer speaking Greek, they went back and they gave us the Nicene Creed to try and clear up some of this confusion. Nicene Creed says, We believe in the one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. There's that phrase, begotten, not made, right? Like Jesus is not created. He's begotten. 
Okay, I'm seeing a lot of glassy looks, which, which means I'm hoping to get a lot of second pot questions here to, to get, <laughs> to get some. Something? I went online, and, and in the, the description of begotten in the Bible, something is begotten when it's been generated by procreation. In other words, it's been followed. A somewhat old-fashioned adjective, begotten is the past participle of the verb begat, which means to father or produce an offspring. Yeah, that's not really what the church fathers meant by it, though. Like, I, 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 I appreciate that that, that is uh, part, part of what the, um, the internet has, has given us to think about this, but, but the church fathers were... were desperately wanting us to, to understand that Jesus is not created. That it's not this, um, because in, in this, this, is, this is, like all of this comes out of, of debates happening in the early church. Um, so you have Arianism, which is an ancient heresy that essentially says that Jesus isn't really God. He's not really God. You have adoptionism that says, well, Jesus wasn't born God, but he was adopted to be the son of God later. And all of this, the early church wants us to, instead of, instead of buying into these, uh, these beliefs that, that have been deemed heretical, to instead say, no, Jesus is co-eternal with the Father. The, the, the Word was present at creation. The Word... Um, the Son and the Father are co-eternal. But for us, while all of this is difficult to wrap our heads around fully, I think what what Jesus's what Jesus conversation with Nicodemus really wants to drive home is not just that that Jesus is divine but that trusting in Jesus is of utmost importance Jesus says that this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly for what they have done and has been done in the sight of God. Going back to this idea that that in our world, in our culture, here in the United States in the 21st century, we have tried to live in a world, we've tried to create a world that God is unnecessary for. And Jesus, in talking to Nicodemus, pulls no punches. Creating a world in which God is unnecessary is evil. It is done because we have chosen that we don't want to live in the light. We don't want to be exposed to the truth that God is present at all times and in all places. 
So for us to choose to live by the truth, to choose to come into the light, frees us from the bondage of trying to live in a world where we are the ultimate arbiter of good and bad and true and false. It frees us to live into the world where God is present, where there is something because God wants there to be something, and that we are invited to know him and be known by him. In John 20, we read these words. Now Thomas, who is also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the, the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. And he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So for some of us, belief that Jesus is who he says he is has come from experience. You prayed and God showed up in a way that you couldn't deny. Or you felt the presence of God in a powerful way that you couldn't deny. And for others of us, it's been less about inexperience in acutely. It hasn't been one big experience that we can't deny. It's been a host of bigger questions that as we've sought solutions to them, Jesus has risen as Lord and Savior and God in our lives. And I think they're both completely valid and completely valuable. And I think part of why we get to gather together as the church is because together we get to share these experiences and encourage one another. Because my experience of God will not be the exact same as your experience of God. The ways that God has shown up and made a way where I thought there was no way will be different for me than they are for you. The moments where I have sensed God's presence and found it to be an undeniable reality will be different for me than they have been for you. And part of the joy of being together as a church, as a family of faith, as a community committed to the way, is that we get to share these stories with one another. And one of the best parts of being in a discipleship group 
is that as we have these conversations, as the relationships grow, you get to know more and more about a person's story. So there are uh, some people who my faith has been informed not only by what I have experienced, but by the testimony of others. I mean, my faith has been formed by the testimony of some of you. And Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. Part of the blessing of living in 2021. Electricity, right? Like we can have light whenever. Thanks, Brian. But also, we must live in reliance upon one another and in trusting the testimony of one another in a way that uh, we wouldn't have to if we were living in Judea in the year 32 and we're sitting there as Jesus turned a couple of fish sandwiches into food for everybody. Right? We have a different sort of experience of coming to trust that Jesus is who he says he is. And Jesus says the experience that we have living now is a blessing. but it doesn't always feel like a blessing. There are times when, man, I really wish that they had, uh, you know, cell phone video cameras in the first century. Like, it would be really cool if there was a TikTok of Jesus turning water into wine. Right? I mean, I don't know if he'd want to give the Chinese Communist Party his data by doing that, but... I mean, what if there was a YouTube video of the Sermon on the Mount? An Instagram reel of Jesus multiplying food or healing a man who was born blind or with leprosy or with a withered hand. It would be incredible. It would be so much easier to just be like, oh, yeah, cool. I see it with my own eyes. But instead, we live in a reality where we have been given testimony And we have to choose whether or not we'll believe it. Whether or not we'll trust it. Whether or not we will, even when we have doubts, even when we aren't quite sure what to make of it, whether or not we are going to embrace it as our own story. And Jesus says, for those who have not seen, yet they believe, they are blessed. So we are blessed. We have a, uh, a, different, a different road than the apostles to belief. 
but it is still a road that leads us to know the Father and the Son and be known by them. Jesus came for us. The world was created out of God's abundant love so that we might exist, so that we might be known and know God. And because of our choices as a species towards selfishness, towards self-worship, we were separated. But in the fullness of time, God the Father in His wisdom sent God the Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live and die and be resurrected And as a holy mystery in that entire process, our sin and our shame and our rebellion is no longer held against us. And we have the freedom to choose to believe. We have the freedom to choose obedience. We have the freedom to choose faithfulness. And in so doing, we come to know the very God who created the universe. And that's pretty cool. So may we have the courage to believe, even though there's not a TikTok of water being turned into wine. Even though there's not a a, a YouTube video of Jesus healing the man born blind. May we trust the testimony of our brothers and sisters, both living here amongst us now and those who've come before us. Let's pray. Most holy and gracious God, we thank you that you have chosen us, that you love us and there's nothing we can do about it, that you have invited us to know you. Lord, for the ways in which we don't correctly understand who you are, Lord, we ask for your grace. And we ask that you would teach us that as we come to better understand who you are, that it would impact every area of our lives. That we would deepen our ability to trust you with an understanding of just how powerful you are and just how much you love us. Lord, we thank you for your great love. And we pray all of this this morning in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.